This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. One of the things I really cannot stand is when one of my kids DJs in the car. Uh, Because they're really bad DJs. They have no fade in, fade out. When they get tired of the song, they just change it, right? No, and it's a hard cut. It's just pop. And that's, see, for me, I, 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 I like to enjoy the song. I, I start hearing the beat, and then it's like it drops, and you're just like, ah, drive it, ah, ah, hey. And then all of a sudden, what are you doing? I was just getting into it, right? And they get bored with songs so fast, and I, I get really upset. I'm like, you're a horrible DJ. You're done. Pass it to your brother or your sister. And if you're going to pick a song, at least finish that song out, right? Let's, let's get that whole thing together. Now, the danger of us studying this text today is that if we just look at verses 3 and 4, you're going to like be in the middle of a song and then all of a sudden hard cut. Just, hey, you know, uh, you should, you're just hitting the, 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 the beat, the drop by the time uh, 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 we stop studying this text. And so this first part of Ephesians is actually a song of praise. It's a, a run-on sentence, meaning it's not broken up in chapter and verse 3, 4, 5. You, you realize people put those verse markers in afterwards to kind of help us along, but not to give us breaks, right? This is, verses 3 through 14 is meant to be read as one sentence. It's meant to be read as one song. It's meant to be sung by the people of God as one prayer. And the reason why this is important is because it sets the tone for the whole book. It sets the tone for the spirit the atmosphere, the reality of the whole book. And so I feel a sense of danger in just reading two verses because if I do that, I feel like I'm going to be a horrible DJ, right? I'm going to take on the characteristics of my children and start DJing in a really bad fashion. So in order to avoid that... We're going to read the whole song, 3 through 14, and then I'm going to, after the whole song is done and we're, we're getting it, right, then we'll stop and kind of hone in on what we liked about that verse, okay? Uh, so let's stand together as we read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and then we're going to spend time on just 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he has chosen us before him in the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which 
He has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mysteries of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. To him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is guaranteed of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. The church says, amen. amen. You may be seated. The drama of Ephesians, a commentary on Ephesians says this, the opening of this letter is unusual. No other New Testament letter opens like Ephesians. It begins with something that's called a baraka, and it's an extended Jewish blessing formula that sets up Ephesians in an atmosphere of worship. Scholars have noted that the function of this section is to form the identity of the people of God, shaping the way they envision what God has done, and how they played, played a central role in the work to, of God to recapture and redeem the world. That this is done in a setting of worship and praise is crucial since through the scriptural account of God's people Israel, worship functioned to reorient the nation's mindset. Think of that. Worship functioned to reorient the nation's mindset. I know you all. I know you all. I know that some of y'all in this room come late on purpose because you want to skip what you would call the unimportant part of the service, the praise, the worship, and just show up for a time where I could just receive good preaching. A time where you can sit and not participate, sit and critique, sit and listen, sit and enjoy, but you don't have to engage. A time where you would say, well, you know what, I, I do like the preaching, but I don't like the style of the praise or the worship, which I, I don't even know what that means, but okay. A time where you want to just receive. A time where you want to come and just enjoy. And so you purposely miss the part that you don't enjoy because you think this time should be to your praise. We need to enter His gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise 
When we come to him in prayer, we should not start with, Lord, I need this. But he teaches disciples to say, when you pray, start like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are called to start with praise. Praise does something. Worship does something when you start with it. It sets an atmosphere of worship rather than an atmosphere of consuming. It sets an atmosphere where Christ is at the center, where God is at the center rather than us. You spend your whole week thinking about yourself. You spend your whole life constantly thinking about your issues, your marriage, your problems, your situations, your jobs, your things. All of it is centered around you. You need to lift up your eyes and spend time looking at something other than yourself. What you're lacking, what you want. Even turning away from the very fact of not just looking at yourself and what you want, but looking at something other than how insufficient you are. And how broken you are. And how messed up you are. Looking at something other than how destroyed you are. Our new nature is meant to be turned towards Christ because our sin nature is a radical curving towards self. And what this does, when you lift up your eyes, when you're in this atmosphere of worship, what it does is it forms a new identity in you. It becomes this new lease, on, uh, this new look on yourself, and you start to see yourself in light of Him rather than in light of yourself. And then all of a sudden, these times together become, as in the drama of Ephesians states, it becomes a reorienting of our mindsets. Now we as the people of God become a community that when we come together, our role in each other's lives is to point each other towards Christ. We are a worshiping people. The danger, and, and, and let, me, let me just uh, uh, set this in scope of why last week, and, and I know this uh, caused some conversations, and I think good conversations. Pastor Wayne uh, uh, said a quote from, from, from somebody who just said, listen, if, 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 if Ephesians would have been the, uh, uh, the theme text for the Reformers, that the history could have been different. Now, I, I know this is a, an opinion of one. This is not a, a, a preaching. This is not like a, a scriptural reference. This is not like, this is an opinion of a commentator. There's some bias to it. There's some reasons for it. But the reality of when you think of the 
Reformed or maybe even the Calvinist, if you have any history with that, if you don't, this may not make sense to you. But there is a, a stigma to us starting with total depravity. T in tulip. We start with total depravity, and we could talk a lot about this, but the reality is Calvinism or the Reformed theology, which, which I believe and hold to and, and love deeply, starts in a place that Scripture itself does not start. Scripture does not start with total depravity, but starts with God and His creation and the perfection of His creation. Scripture itself starts with this beautiful picture of who God is and how He's created all things perfect. Before there was total depravity, there was shalom. And we spend so much time trying to convince people of their total depravity rather than you will only see your total depravity in light of the perfection and holiness and beauty of who God is. Scripture starts with praise. Ephesians if it was the theme text of the Reformed movement, would start with praise. It would start with this reality of setting an atmosphere by which we as the people of God are so overwhelmed by how much God has, verse 3, blessed. Look at verse 3. He has blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Here's what I want you to see. It starts with God, just like Scripture does. It starts with God. Blessed be the God. Now here's what we have to understand about blessing. God is blessed. He is the source of of blessing. He is the only one who is truly, fully blessed. He is the source of blessing and that he is blessed. And in that blessing, he has done something with that source of blessing. He was, is blessed to be a blessing. Look at that. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. He has taken this blessing and has blessed. He is blessed to be a blessing, if you will. He poured out his very nature and character and that came to Christ with every spiritual blessing and with that, Christ has chosen us. Now when you use this word every, I just want to kind of 
show you that every spiritual blessing means this. There is nothing that is left out. Let me say that again. Nothing that God has has been withheld from his son. Nothing is left out and we have been given everything by the Spirit through Christ, every spiritual blessing. He gives this blessing so richly. Why is it hard for us to focus on that? Well, the best thing I can, uh, I can think of is uh, whenever you go to somebody and you like an article of their clothing, and I've seen this happen so many times, you say, man, that's a, a nice sweater. They immediately go Paid three bucks for it. Got it on sale. Why? Because they don't want you to think that they're rich. They don't want you to think that they have been given more. They want you to think they got a good deal. Why, Why is that? Why is it we don't want to admit that we are rich? Because once you admit that you are rich, you admit you have no need. And you are lacking nothing. That you have received all that you need and all that you could ever want and everything that could ever come. The source of blessing has been poured upon and there's nothing that has been withheld from us. And once we realize that, we have to admit I have all I need in Christ. This is hard for us to admit. When we see that God is the source of blessing and has richly poured this upon Christ and that in Christ we have received all that we could ever want dream, desire. Uh, In Christ, we have all that we need. That through this, that Christ has received, and then what has he had done with that? Christ has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, I love, love, love the doctrine of election. But I will tell you this, this doctrine has caused more fights. One professor says this, try to explain election and you may lose your mind. But try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. There is a desire in us to understand everything. There's something in us that feels like we should understand election. So what we do in hearing about God choosing us in him before the foundation of the world, we start asking questions so we could understand. And here's the kinds of questions we have come up with. Who gets chosen? How do they get chosen? How did this one get chosen and that one not get chosen? We start 
asking God to explain to us something that we really believe that we can understand. And this desire to understand, if you will, election, I believe, is rooted in Eve's and Adam's desire to be like God. They were created in his image, but the lie that the serpent told them was God is withholding something. You could be like him. You could determine what is good and evil. What this has done is in this desire to understand this reality is has led people to argue, debate, uh, Divide over this doctrine of election. But election in Scripture was not used to evoke fear in people, but was a means to invoke praise and purpose in people. And it was not a means of which an evil God was playing a game of duck, duck, damn. And what she, yeah, duck, duck, you're damned. This was not an evil game by an evil God. And so an effort to not get wrapped up in the arguments of, of, of people who are rooted in this thought that they can understand something that is so deeply a part of God's nature and character, I will refuse to enter into that argument with you today. Because what that argument does is take you down a rabbit trail that leads you to fear rather than praise. When he looked in this song of praise, what this evoked in these people was an understanding of how truly blessed and valuable they are. One game I like to play because I'm insecure with my wife is ask her this question, why do you love me? <laughs> and then if she says anything like, well, you know, you're smart. Well, babe, what if I, what if I lose my mind? Would you still love me? Then I like to, what if... I can't work anymore, and one day all my legs get chopped off, and I have no hands, and you got to roll me over in my bed. Will you still love me? What if I bring nothing to the table? Will you still love me? What if I'm not smart? What if I'm not handsome? What if I'm not obedient? What if I do something wrong? What if... I lose my ability, my strength, my mind. This might be able to be played out even more as if our children believe in any way that their capacity to be loved in our family is rooted in 
their abilities. Yesterday, my daughter played her first soccer game. And, and, and listen, it was fun to watch. But while we were walking up there, she's never played. And she, she kind of has this confidence in herself that I don't need to practice. I could just go out there and win, you know. I win, 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 no matter what, you know. So she's walking out there, and I'm like, you want to practice? I'm trying to coach her, you know, the whole thing. And I'm trying to, got to be aggressive. You've never played before. She's like, Dad, I got this. Like, it's not a, it's no deal. It's just soccer, right? I'm like, come on, no, we gotta, if you're going to sign up, we're going to pay this money, we're going to go, and I'm, I'm trying to coach her. I'm trying to, to get her into the game. I'm trying to, you know, come on. And while we're walking up there, she goes, Dad, if I lose, you're going to be mad at me? I said, of course, of course not. Of course not. You, I love you no matter what, even if you're, Horrible at soccer. I love you no matter what, even if, but something in her just wanted the affirmation that her abilities were not the source of why her dad was proud of her, loved her, and cared for her. And what we need to hear in this is a father saying, you did nothing to be brought into this family. I love you because I am love and I have chosen to pour my love out upon you before you even did anything before you even came into this world, before there was even a thought, I loved you and I have chosen to pour out my love upon you and that you are, uh, you have my heart, you have my life, my door is always open to you, I enjoy you, I choose you. This doctrine of election, when put in the context of a praise song, makes so much more sense. Because what ends up happening when you truly believe this understanding of I chose you, what it's meant to evoke is this. It evokes a sense of blessing or luck. Eugene Peterson tells a story of a woman who had no experience in church or doctrine or theology, no experience, but showed up one morning and heard the gospel for the very first time and received this grace and love of a heavenly father and realized who she was, not because she had any previous understanding of it, but God chose to pour out his love and grace upon her. And she came up to the pastor every week, Eugene Peterson, and she said, I feel so lucky. In Eugene Peterson's book, he said, I wanted to correct her, but nothing could let me until I went back and studied this word blessing, and I realized it meant an unexpected gift or good fortune or a surprise or an undeserved gift, and I realized her understanding of what she had received in Christ was better than my understanding of blessing. 
We should feel like, have you ever been in a relationship where you felt lucky? I, I, I tell my wife this all the time. I pray that God keeps you blind. Because I constantly look at her and feel extremely lucky. I look at my kids and people go, man, you've done such a good job at raising your kids. And if I was completely honest, there's so many times I was just talking to my brother this weekend as I was looking at Kairos and his son, uh, Cade, and we were at a, a, a retreat together and I, I, I was watching them interact and I looked at my brother and I said, if people think that I did that, God has blessed us. I am lucky to have that kid. The reality is when we hear that God has chosen us, there should not be anything in us that goes, I deserve that. But everything in us should be overwhelmed by how lucky we are, how blessed we are. But notice that this text doesn't just end with how blessed we are. It says something really powerful. Jesus doesn't just show us, God's word doesn't just show us that we are blessed people, but he has chosen us before the foundations of the world that we have should be holy and blameless before him. Election is not just a root of blessing, although it is, but it is also deeply rooted in giving us great meaning and giving us a purpose. Praise and purpose should flow up from us. So many of us spend time trying to figure out why does this one get privilege and why does this one not get privilege rather than us highlighting the privilege of election. Scripture spends much time highlighting the great responsibility it is to be a part of the family of God. You're lucky and you have been given responsibility. You have been chosen not to be a moral little good Christian. But you have been chosen by God. Not because of your works lest you should boast. But he has great meaning. He has blessed you to be a blessing. Do you notice that? God is blessed. He has blessed Christ is blessed. He has blessed. You are blessed. You should bless. That is the, the flow of blessing. Blessing flows down and pools that we all may swim. This blessing has been given to us for our enjoyment and for us to use it in the way he would use it. So if we are rightly reading this text, we're not just coming to it for greater understanding. Do you hear me on this? 
Many of us read scripture like textbooks where we just want to understand what is God saying. And many of you may have understanding, but you don't have the heart of the text. The heart of the text is for this to cause a praise break. If y'all don't know what a praise break is, you need to go to YouTube and Google or, or, or just Google praise break and watch a few videos, right? This is the cause a praise break. This reality of I don't lack anything. The Father loves me. I have been blessed. I have been set apart. I have been cleaned. And he wants us to, to, to he, he has chosen me before the foundations of the world. And he wants to show me off in front of the world. Not for my glory, not for my praise, but for his praise. My biggest lament is that when I came into, if you will, and I, some of you know my story, I was a part of real charismatic movements for a long time. And I felt like I, I couldn't shout loud enough. I couldn't dance long enough. I couldn't scream loud enough. And every time I was trying to earn something from God, like I'll yell louder. And then they would say, just yell for your breakthrough. And I'd yell and I wouldn't get that breakthrough. Give money and you'll get more back. And I'd give and nothing to come back. And I was constantly trying to bribe God and earn favor and earn grace and make him love me. I was constantly trying to pay him off. I was so steeped in self-righteousness that when I heard that God had chosen me, the whole religious system of me trying to earn God's favor and trying to shout and scream and dance and do it broke off of me. And I fell on my knees and I began to cry because I realized I have the Father's love. I am lucky. I am blessed. I have been given all of these riches. And I came into this not knowing that there was a whole group of people who did not praise him because of these doctrines, but spent time arguing over these doctrines. I didn't realize that they were consumed with trying to convince people that they were depraved and broken and ugly and God didn't love them and that they needed his grace and only by, and they spent time in arguments. And here is where these religious systems need to bow a knee to scripture because we are not saved by works, nothing that we have done. We are sinful, broken people. But we are blessed, and these doctrines are not given to us so that we can argue with each other. They are given to us so that he can be praised, and he can be worshipped. If the primary default of us hearing something like this doesn't lead us to praising God. And I'm not just talking about becoming emotional. I'm not just talking about screaming or dancing. These are not the things I am just talking about. What I am talking about is this sense and wonder and awe of what God has done in me because of what he wants to do through me. That you would feel something in this text.
one of the joys is that I've been getting around theologians who are so deeply smart in this. Could argue up and down. The other day I was sitting with a friend of mine, goes to this church, theologian, teaches at Phoenix Seminary, was sitting with him talking about Ephesians chapter 3, and he said, man, I'm telling you this, bro. If people would stop trying to just get this thing in their head and really get that this is calling us into not just a knowing or an understanding. I think you'll drive yourself crazy trying to understand this. God wants us to know him. God wants us to experience him. God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God has called us into a relationship with him. And he is deserving of praise, of worship, for what he has done. As we enter into this time of singing, I'm not asking you today to do something that is for me. So here's what I mean. I'm not trying to say, do this. Dance, sing, praise, worship. Do this, do this, do this. It's not, I, I lived under that for a long time. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. But I will tell you this. Worship is also not about what you like to do. It's about giving honor and glory unto him in a way in which he asks. We would, should say, not this, what does Aaron want me to do? But we should say, God, how can I worship you and praise you? How can I show honor and glory unto you? And thanks for what you have given and how you have blessed. As we come to this table, what we are celebrating is that we get to taste and experience week in and week out the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just about us understanding the gospel, this is powerful. We need to understand the gospel. But he wants us to not just think about it. He wants us to experience it by tasting it, consuming it. The best way that I can think about it is this. You could ask me in what ways, if my wife comes to me and says, how do you love me? Why do you love me? And I say, well, you're so beautiful. You got this dark skin, and this brown hair, these brown eyes. If you know my wife, you're like, you're not describing your wife. She has blonde hair and she's very pale. She would go, who are you talking about? Yes, I do believe that knowing God means you know about him. You actually know who you're talking about. But there's another side where I could go before God and start explaining and dissecting. I've read all the articles. I've done this. I've done that. They, they call that in this world a stalker. Somebody who actually doesn't know 
the person, but they know more about them than they even know about themselves. You remember what you said in your movie five years ago? No, I didn't know. But I memorized that line. I know this about you. I know this. I know this. I know this. They know more than their wife even knows. But here's this. Their wife knows them. There's difference between having a knowledge of God and having an actual relationship. You know about them. You know a lot about them. And you want to know increasingly more. But you also want to know him. Love him. Praise him. Adore him. Magnify him. That's what we're being called into. You have been chosen before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless. Church, as you come to this table, let's worship him together. Let's partake, let's sing, and let's honor the one who has blessed us so richly with every spiritual blessing. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.